Forgiveness is one of the basic tenets of the gospel, and some powerful headlines have come from Christians forgiving those that hurt them. Think Pope John Paul forgiving a man who tried to assassinate him, or members of the Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston forgiving the man who killed nine of their fellow congregants in 2015. I was raised in, the, in a black church, and in the black church, there is a there is an ethos, a very strong ethos about forgiveness. That's Corey Johnson of the Tampa Bay Times. And in the early 2000s, it looked like the paper was witnessing another great forgiveness story playing out in their own backyard. The story involved a preacher named Henry J. Lyons. Lyons had once been one of the most influential pastors in the U.S. until he was exposed for tax fraud, extortion, philandering, the whole shebang. But after Lyons was let out of prison, he was given a second chance by a struggling Florida church. The church was willing to forgive Lyons' past and hire him on. A broken pastor for a broken church, they said at the time. But then, earlier this year, the Tampa Bay Times got a tip that Lyons might not be reformed at all. But how do you investigate someone's personal finances? More broadly, how do you investigate the financial dealings of a church? Corey started reporting knowing there were some serious obstacles ahead, until... When you're doing an investigation and it seems like all is lost, sometimes uh, something, a breakthrough will happen that you would least suspect. On today's episode, Irie's Emily Hopkins talks with Corey about the secrets they uncovered, the lessons they learned, and the breaking news that threw all their plans out the window. I'm Blake Nelson, and you're listening to the Irie Radio Podcast. To unravel the suspicious circumstances playing out at a Florida church, Tampa Bay Times reporter Corey Johnson had to start with one man, Reverend Henry Lyons. Somebody ought to know what I'm talking about. Because I heard the voice. I wasn't looking for it. I heard the voice of Jesus said, come unto me. During the 90s, Lyons was one of the most powerful religious and political figures in America. He was at one point so influential within that organization that people jokingly called him the Black Pope. And you know what? I found in him a resting place. He had the ear of powerful lawmakers, including former President Bill Clinton. Well, if you wanted something done within the White House, Henry Lyons was the man that you could call if you were African-American. But not everything about Lyons was quite as it seemed. He was living this secret life filled with mistresses and high-rolling, jet-setting lifestyle and uh, corruption. He was uh, extorting businesses out of money and engaged in a lot of uh, tax fraud and other kind of frauds. And all of this came to a, a crashing halt when his wife discovered that he uh, had a house with a mistress, and she went and they and burnt the house now. And when the arson came and the fire raged, his levees, so to speak, broke, and all of these secret, questionable behaviors and illegal behaviors, you know, came to the surface. 
This was the late 90s, when the Tampa Bay Times was still the St. Petersburg Times. Reporting by the paper helped prompt state and federal investigations into Lyons' dealings. He was ultimately convicted of grand theft, racketeering, fraud, extortion, money laundering, conspiracy, and tax evasion. Lyons was ordered to serve a five-year prison sentence and to repay millions of dollars in restitution. But it was what happened after his prison sentence that became the interest of Corey and colleague John Romano. Lyons had served most of his sentence at a work release center an hour outside of Tampa Bay. After leaving prison in 2003, he was quickly welcomed back into the ministry as a reformed man. Less than a month after his release, he was guest preaching, and not long after that, he had found a congregation to call his own. You know, he was very contrite. Uh, he begged for forgiveness. He apologized for uh, the things he had done in his past, and he asked for uh, the community to give him a second chance to make amends. And um, this one particular church, uh, New Salem Missionary Baptist Church in Tampa, uh, took him up on that. Fast forward to this March. Corey had only been working at the Tampa Bay Times for a few months when a tip came into the newsroom. John Romano, a Metro columnist, had been told that Henry Lyons seemed to be up to his old tricks. John and Corey decided to check it out. Like, like in many of these stories, sometimes the tip uh, is squishy and you wonder, you know, how solid it is. But uh, we asked for this particular person to bring documents, and they did. Corey and John set out to answer two questions. Was Lyons really doing anything wrong? And what exactly had he been up to since he left prison and found his new life? One of the key steps was understanding what had been happening with New Salem Missionary Baptist Church. Back in the early 2000s, when Lyons was walking out of prison, the church had been struggling. Infighting had driven a wedge through the congregation, and attendance was way down. New Salem was looking for someone to keep them from complete financial ruin. Lyons was looking for a fresh start. The two became like a match made in heaven. They were, at one point, they even said uh, uh, about their decision that they, it was a broken pastor for a broken church. The congregation welcomed Lyons with enthusiasm. They considered him a reformed man who was worthy of forgiveness, and they were hopeful that a star like Lyons could help them save the church. And so many of them, you know, saw it as a huge opportunity, uh, as a blessing in religious speak, that uh, they want to be able to move forward with somebody of the caliber of a Henry Lyons. You know, Henry Lyons, prior to the fall, you know, he was negotiating million-dollar deals. And for a small church, you know, when, when he showed up on the scene, one of the things he promised them was the ability to get a new church and to be prosperous and, uh, under his leadership. And so they they loved that idea. They fell in love with that idea, and they fell in love with him. All of this raised some questions. Lyons was a convicted racketeer who stole millions. How could leaders at New Salem look at his past and trust him to head their church? Corey drew on some of his own experiences to understand this. I was raised in the church. I wasn't raised Baptist, but I was raised in the in a black church. And in the black church, there is a you know there is an ethos, a very strong ethos about forgiveness. And there are many many stories 
biblical stories that are taught in the black church about forgiveness, about powerful people who who sinned or who made mistakes, but then uh, repented for those mistakes and then were given a second chance. Empathy was key throughout the reporting process. If you're judgmental or harsh, people can pick up on that and then they're maybe less likely to help. And I think I brought that to the to this story in a way that allowed us to get over some obstacles. The you should have known better tone or attitude I, I didn't have. I could understand how that's a natural reaction when people come to certain stories like this, but I just knew that in the in the culture of the church, forgiveness is very much a thing, especially if you're demonstrating, if you're saying all the right things and demonstrating behavior, people are going to give you a second chance, and that those people shouldn't be mocked or ridiculed because uh, they gave that second chance and it turned out wrong. Lyons started with a modest salary of $400 a week, but he was told that he could make more if he increased church membership. And that's exactly what he did. Before, maybe 50 people filled the church pews. Lyons showed up and grew the church rolls to more than 700 worshipers. Under him, the church in 2007 bought property for a new and improved building. If you follow the, the arc, you know, it, it hits a spike and then now... It's, it's in a tailspin. The financial crisis that hit so many people across the country didn't spare the church. By 2011, the bank had seized over 40 acres and a house from New Salem. Even worse, they had begun foreclosure proceedings against the church's main building. And in 2013, as the church was facing financial trouble, money started to flow out of a New Salem account and into nonprofits held by Lions. Some people in the church took notice of this. They brought it up only to be rebuffed and potentially ostracized. It looked like New Salem was in crisis once again. It's been in a free fall for a few years, and people over at the church would say it's largely due to uh, members becoming disgruntled about him and some of the things that they saw happening. So Corey and John had answered their first question. They now knew, generally, what Lyons had been doing since his release. They also knew from public records that he had a handful of nonprofits registered under his name. But to know if the pastor was doing anything wrong, they'd need much, much more. And a story like this, frankly, has challenges because it's not a government agency. It's not some place that you can just file a Freedom of Information Act and sit back and wait for some records. This is a private organization. We needed financial records. We needed uh, banking records. We needed, uh, if there were grants, we needed those grants. We needed internal correspondence. And that's the sort of thing that we just really didn't have any uh, legal uh, uh, entitlement to. Using the church directory as their guide, the pair knocked on doors to try and find parishioners who would be willing to talk. Some people were reluctant to discuss the church's problems in public. But then there were, there were many others who let us in and who had seen things that 
uh, upset them. Uh, some of these folks told us stories of trying to raise questions and getting rebuffed by Lyons himself or lieutenants of Lyons. And a few of these people had squirreled away documents, uh, key documents that substantiated their allegations and also provided a roadmap to the history of the church under Lyons's uh, rule, if you will. Those documents led to more sources, which led to more documents. Here's what they found. A benevolence fund intended to support church members in need provided more than $76,000 directly to Henry Lyons, his wife Willie, or nonprofits run by Lyons. That's nearly 83% of the money spent by the fund during that time. Federal grant money intended to support HIV awareness programs had also been routed to nonprofits run by Lyons and paid directly to the couple as administrative fees. Money sent from New Salem to fund a program to help young black men was eventually turned over to Lyons and his wife as reimbursements. Perhaps the most interesting revelation was that there was little to no evidence that some of these programs even existed. Even people who had been listed as board members for these alleged programs told Corey they'd never been to a meeting and didn't know much about them. We couldn't find any real footprint that they had done or attempted to do anything. So they kept digging. They poured over church financial records looking for any proof that these social programs existed. We started to look at the paperwork and we could see no agreement between the church and the nonprofits to do this kind of work. Uh, the nonprofit itself didn't have any footprint of doing any work. The church also raised questions about money that flowed into New Salem's now shuttered daycare center, which had been run by Lyon's wife. In fact, when church leaders wanted to bring in an accounting firm to look at the finances, the couple refused to hand over the books for the daycare. It's important to note that Lyons and his wife deny any wrongdoing and say the grant money was used as intended. But from the evidence Corey could find, it appeared that some of those nonprofits... They were nothing more than a shell. Nonprofits, the absent programming, the mysterious cash flows, all of this was suspicious. But when Corey and John looked beyond the church, things got even more curious. Lyons owned a nice house in a nice neighborhood and drove fancy cars. And so that was, that was another aha moment. Like, how could someone be riding around in BMWs and, and hardly paying uh, his restitution at all to victims who were hurt by his crimes? and who were waiting to be restored for, I guess, the things that they had suffered. Lyons owes millions in restitution from his convictions in the 90s. It seemed to Corey that if Lyons was able to afford such nice things, he should be making payments towards his victims. So it was back to the public records. You would think, as I did at the very beginning, that if, you, if someone owes restitution, and this restitution is court-ordered, that it would be very easy to find out whether they're paying it or not. But 
In reality, that's not so. It's not easy to find out the answer to that question, and that is because at the federal level, the U.S. Attorney's Office and the Justice Department have interpreted the Freedom of Information Act to be null and void when it comes to whether someone is paying their court-ordered restitution. Corey and John met with the U.S. attorney to plead their case, but to no avail. It was the roadblock that led Corey to what he calls, quoting a former colleague, trail magic. When you're doing an investigation and it seems like all is lost, sometimes uh, something, a breakthrough will happen that you at least suspect. And in this case, uh, it happened during our interview with the U.S. Attorney's Office. The attorney said that if Corey could get permission from Lyons' lawyer to release the information on restitution payments, then the attorney would show them the records. Corey figured that this was the attorney's polite way of saying buzz off, but he went ahead and asked Lyons' lawyer anyway. He consulted with Henry Lyons, and they ultimately agreed to provide the information. It's already revealed a goldmine of details. And there's some there's some startling finds in there that confirm that for many, many years, Reverend Lyons was hardly paying uh, anything towards his, his previous victims. There, there are people who lost real money as a result of uh, some of his, his schemes in the past. And so here we are, we were now faced with the possibility that there were once again, people were being hoodwinked or hornswoggled uh, out of their money or out of certain things that had real value to them as, as a result of things that Lions were saying and doing. On a rainy evening in June, the New Salem Church parking lot was full. Corey and John sat in their car waiting for something to happen. Day turned into night, and right around, say, 9.30, he, his wife, and a few supporters come walking out. And we had gotten text messages maybe five or ten minutes before they walked out that the church had let them go. And so there was just this silence amongst me and John as we were just stunned. And you know, when he walked out, he he and his wife they just looked they just had this look of uh, it was a mixed look of relief and surprise, if that makes any sense. <laughs> as Corey and John sat in the parking lot, they watched their long term investigation turn into breaking news. And they removed him after an outrage of some of the stuff that they were seeing that we had asked for. <laughs> and so it put us in a, in a weird place because we were still needing to report the information to assess it. And the action is happening before we can even get our story out. And so we ended up uh, getting a call like, hey, I know you guys are working on a story, but He's getting ready to be removed. If you want to be, if you want to be there, you need to be here at such and such a time. So we were there. Suddenly, the clock was ticking. They needed to report on Lyons' ouster, but doing so would alert other journalists to the things they'd spent months investigating. So Corey brought the tip to his editor, and they made a decision. They'd pack as many of their findings as they could into the story, 
and follow up with the rest of their investigation once they had more. It also meant they had to approach Lyons for the first time. They needed to get him on the record about his termination. So the day after he was removed from his church, and much sooner than they would have liked, Corey and John paid a visit to Lyons at his home. Yep, so the next day we go and we knock on the door and we... And I say to him, I say, I know, uh, you know, you know why we're here. And he shook his head. He said, yeah, I do. And I said to him that I said, you know, you're, you're a big deal in this community. And this is an important story uh, for this community. It's an important story for you. And there are people making strong allegations about you and, we would definitely want to hear your side of the story. We definitely would want you to be able to get your word out on this. And he agreed and let us in, which was something he didn't do that much during the initial reporting in the 90s. Lyons led them inside. Sitting on the couch with his wife, he denied any wrongdoing. Corey said he was friendly but evasive. He had a way of sidestepping questions about his nonprofits, and his wife would often answer the questions directed at him. They told Corey and John that the charges were dreamed up by a group of disgruntled church members who wanted to push him out. If anything looked suspicious, they were sure that it was either easily explained or an honest mistake. In his home office, Lyons showed off his amateur coin collection. The room was filled with financial relics. It was something like Corey had never seen before. There were dollar bills framed on the walls and what looked like prized coins and fake gold bars on a makeshift table. Corey said it looked like a shrine to money. There were jars and jars of of, 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 of nothing but coins, nickels, dimes, pennies that he had collected. And he was very proud of his collection. Um, and, and he showed us about it. He told us that he had read somewhere about 10 years ago that at any point in time, uh, there might be millions of dollars laying around on the ground just waiting for someone to pick it up. And so from that point on, he made it his lot in life to collect and to grab. And so he was very proud of this collection of money, which was astounding. It was a strange experience, full of contradictions. Corey was standing with a man of God in a room surrounded by money. The man that he knew was receiving a modest church salary, but who was somehow able to afford a high-end lifestyle. A friendly, charismatic man who, it seems, possibly deceived his congregation for a second time. In my experience with him, I found him to be gracious, humble, um, and soft-spoken and charming. And the people who know him closely say that there's two Henry Lyons. There's one Henry Lyons that is indeed very charming and gracious. And then they say there's another Henry Lyons who could be mean, cruel, uh, manipulative, and harsh. Uh, I did not see that side of him, Uh, but there are legions of folks who will tell you <laughs> that that side is a, is a real thing and exists. That visit was the only time Corey would talk to Lyons. The relationship between the Tampa Bay Times and the pastor was still raw from coverage of his previous crimes. 
Corey reached out several times after that first meeting and has since been directed to Lyon's attorney. Since the Times began reporting on the story, the FBI has interviewed several people at New Salem. And the story is ongoing. Corey has continued to dig into Lyon's finances, his restitution records, and more, tracing the second fall of Reverend Henry Lyons. That's why God don't ever get excited about you. I don't care what you do, how bad you get, how bad you think you are, how high you trying to, God don't get excited. That was Henry Lyons preaching in Atlanta in October 2005. Thanks for listening. Because I'm about done with my graduate studies at the University of Missouri, this is actually my last episode hosting the IRE Radio podcast. I don't know what I'll do next, perhaps spend a few days on a beach, or maybe a week as the White House communications director. But as a parting gift to me, I ask, no, in fact, I insist that you subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And once you've subscribed, I also ask that you write a review, which will help new listeners discover some great journalism. The Irie Radio podcast is recorded in the studios of KBIA at the University of Missouri. Emily Hopkins reported the story. Sarah Hutchins is our editor. From Columbia, Missouri, I'm Blake Nelson. Podcast. Podcast. You might want to do that already. Cool. Okay. Podcast. Podcast.